Let's review. God creates Adam first. Life was supposed to flow from God to Adam to Eve until such a time that Eve knew so much about God that she wanted the relationship with God and life was going to flow from God to Eve to Adam. That was his plan. When Jesus, after his resurrection, gets dominion back, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Basically, he has now the dominion. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things I've taught you. He hasn't changed. This was his design. Here's your wife. She's younger than you. She doesn't know the things that you know. I want you to teach her those things. It's going to be good for you to teach her those things. It's been taught, mistaught somehow that, that God loved Adam more than Eve or that Eve somehow was second class. Let me ask you something. Does God love you or your children more? See, we don't think about it. There's a difference in responsibility, but the love is it's the same. God loved Eve like he loved Adam, and he wanted a relationship with her. It wouldn't have been the same relationship. It's not the same between two people because each person has their own interests. But life was supposed to flow that way. So we understand and we looked at why Eve was tempted. Something in her relationship, something tapped into the fact that she wanted to get a boost. She needed to go up a bit to make life better for her. Was she being put down? Was Adam a little bossy? Was he sort of using his knowledge and his, the fact that he was there first, he wasn't paying her much attention. It still happens today. Taking your wife for granted is a very common problem. And I can say I've been guilty of that as well. But when God reminds me of that, I get too focused on my projects, too focused on the computer. I start the uh-huh, uh-huh when she calls me. I'll be there in a minute, 15 minutes. Lack of respect, lack of respect for your time, lack of respect uh, for who you are, that this project is not as important as you are. I think we still have that problem today, and I'm, I'm as guilty uh, as Adam potentially was. But I want to be different. I want to love my wife the way God intended me. I want life to flow from him to me to my wife. And it certainly flows from him to my wife to me. That is his design and I want to support that. But the trauma of this betrayal is profound for Adam. It is a profound betrayal. And if we just gloss over it, like, oh, you blamed your wife, it was really your fault, we're missing the depth of his pain. Doesn't excuse, does not excuse his lack of repentance, but we need to empathize with people's pain. Adam and Eve had a secure attachment, probably one of the most secure attachments that ever existed. He absolutely trusted her. He trusted her like he trusted God. There's no way in his mind 
that she could ever, would ever betray him. And probably she thought the same about him. This was the securest of secure attachments. And they both had a secure attachment with God. They were convinced that God had their back. After the fall, it becomes an insecure attachment. They are not sure. They are blaming one another. And the attachment with God is also one of distrust. Not if I tell you who I really am, you'll help me. It's I need to do it on my own. It's very apparent from we see that in the second generation, God is, he's still coming down and walking with Cain and Abel. He's still visiting them, telling them, receiving their sacrifices. It's not that he's withdrawn up to heaven. In fact, Cain says, I'm going to remove myself from your face, from your presence. He's, he, God is still right there. It's not that their sin has stopped him from coming around. But Cain has picked up something from his father, I believe. This anger, this injustice. I want you to imagine with me how Eve might have tempted Adam to take this fruit, which he knew he did not need. He didn't pick his own fruit. But how does she convince him to take this fruit? I'm going to read a couple of verses to you of 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 2 Timothy 2.13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Romans 6.16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Eve obeyed the serpent, and she ate the fruit, and she became a slave of sin to the serpent. She became a slave of the devil. She looked the same. She was still attractive. But now she's an agent of the devil, and she has... Well, what do you think she has? She has guilt. She feels something. You can't do something like that and feel nothing. She felt something. She knew it was wrong. But misery loves company. And now, instead of her saying, you know, I want you to help me, her whole motive, just like with the serpent, was to bring him down. And that is why he is so angry. That's why he's angry enough to blame God. It has blown all of his circuits. He cannot believe that this person he trusted has brought him down. But something inside of him became a people pleaser. He wanted to please her. And he somehow believed that because he had dominion that he would be able to fix it all. Power does tend to affect us that way. Why does Adam eat 
the fruit. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. So Adam wasn't deceived. So why does, why does, he, why does he eat it? Well, I've heard a couple of people talk about that Adam loved his wife so much that he didn't want her to be alone. And so he did a very loving thing, and he decided to sin with her. It's interesting how we justify our sin, isn't it? Whenever you sin for someone else, or you are disobedient to God for someone else, first of all, it's never a good idea. Secondly, it doesn't actually help them. What Adam did for his wife was not really loving to her. Now, it might have seemed that way at the time. It might have seemed like the most expedient, the best thing to do, but it really wasn't a loving thing for her. So why does he do it? Is he afraid she's going to be expelled from the garden? And he can prevent that somehow. Now, Adam, we have to remember, has dominion. This is something that most of us don't think about, what that word even means now. We are so under the weight of society or at the mercy of the elements. We don't understand what dominion over the whole earth looks like or felt like to Adam. Life was supposed to flow from God to Adam to his wife. It doesn't appear that it flowed that way. What in paradise was she lacking that she was so interested in things being better for her? And we can imagine that now, but try to imagine you're in paradise. What is it that she's lacking? Because sin always comes from a perception of lack. You must have a perception of lack to draw you into sin. It doesn't have to be a true perception. It doesn't have to be true that you actually lack those things, but you just perceive that you lack them, and that will draw you to do something that God has said not to do, that you know is actually not good for you. So what draws Adam to eat the fruit? It's also interesting to me that if someone gave me a piece of fruit, and they had eaten it. My first thought would be, well, can I have my own? Why didn't Adam pick his own fruit? If someone hands you, now we say it was an apple, it probably was not. Apples need cold weather, and weather there does not appear to be cold because they were naked. So was it a fig, you know, a fig tree? They were made fig leaves. Was it a something else I don't know but someone if someone took a bite of a fig and handed me the rest of it I'd be like let me just pick my own 
is it possible what was happening? It says he wasn't deceived. Why does he eat this? What happens when she eats? What happens to her? What happens when, when you sin and you know you've done something wrong? Basically, the, something happened in her spirit. She was one connection with God in spirit. That connection appears to have been severed. And now Satan was able to pour his corruption and fear into her. Now, she looks like the same woman that she was 20 minutes ago. At least that's the way she looks to Adam. But she's not. She has now the same motivation that Satan had when he tempted her. She wants to bring him down. She needs company in this. I wonder how she pressured him. Because it, it says he wasn't deceived. He wasn't thinking, oh, this is going to be a great idea. What happens when she develops this fear? Did she become sort of arrogant or prideful? You know, the, the serpent was sort of, did God really say that? He had that dismissive haughtiness about him that we see so much in our culture that actually makes us very interested, very curious, how courageous that someone is so defiant of God. It just looks powerful and bold. And God is humble, not arrogant. He's not haughty and brazen like that. But it's attractive the first time you see it. You're like, wow, you're so defiant. And Eve was very interested in the serpent saying how you will not die. Ah, all that God stuff. To talk with contempt about something that you value can seem very attractive. I mean, was he manipulated? Was he seduced? Is the reason he didn't pick his own fruit because they were no longer at the tree? Maybe there was some seduction going on, this predatory attitude that we talk about. I need you to do something for me. And Adam bought into that. Interesting to think about. Here's a question. Did Adam know? Did Adam sense anything was different about her before he ate that fruit? Do you know in your spirit, if you want to know, that the person who's offering you something does not have your best interest in mind? Sometimes we're blind to it, but if your spirit is operational and is not quenched or seared, as the Bible calls it, if you've been focusing on the Lord, if you've been in tune with him, when you are offered a job, a relationship, a drug, whatever it is, an opportunity to make money in a certain way, an opportunity to better yourself in some 
fashion, you're not so sure about that, taking this tax loophole that something in your spirit says, yeah, I know it sounds legal, but something about it to me doesn't feel right. Do you think Adam had any clue? Do you think his spirit was flashing this red light on his dashboard? I don't know what's wrong. She looks the same, but there's something in her eyes. There's something, there's a pressure here that I shouldn't be feeling. How might she have displayed it? She could have been pouty, cold shoulder. I mean, Adam's never seen that before. Kind of arrogant, haughty. When people try to control us, they use what we call in psychology attachment pain. We're attached to them. Adam and Eve had the ultimate secure attachment. They were very securely attached. They trusted each other. But now this person that you trusted somehow is trying to get you to do something that you know is wrong. Well, people that put that pressure on you to take a drug, I mean, why why do they do that? Why are they so interested that you do the same thing that they've done? It's not for your best interest. It's to make them feel better. But to cause you attachment pain means to say, you're going to be very sorry I'm going to pull away from you if you don't do what I say. And that's even coming back to why do we keep all the people on our texts to text us happy with us? Is it the fear of attachment pain? Is it the fear of that person's anger? Was there begging? Was there pleading? Was there peer pressure, foot stomping? I wonder if there were some clues that Adam had that Eve was not satisfied in their relationship. Were there some clues? Are there clues when someone's not satisfied in your relationship? What are some of those clues? Maybe people are disinterested. Could be that they are They don't want to be known anymore. They're very vague. They start not answering the questions that you ask them. Oh, where are you going? Oh, nowhere. Where where have you been? Nowhere special. And then their attention, they try to make kind of make a lot of excitement over little things that are out of character to them. Oh, that's such a beautiful outfit you have. No, seriously, it's really, really great. They try to draw attention to other things or to you so that you don't know them. The one thing that we don't see from Adam or from Eve or from the next generation is repentance. There is no record of anyone being sorry. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of blame. There's a lot of accusation. In fact, God 
says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have not obeyed my voice, things are going to be more difficult for you. And it's so interesting that thousands of years later, Jesus comes on the scene and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Listen, listen, listen with your spiritual ears. See with your spiritual eyes. This is the problem that we have in our society, that we, our imaginations are full of what we see, the videos. How many acts of adultery have we all seen by this age? How many lies, how many people stealing, cheating, lying? How many acts of violence have each of us taken into our brain, into our imaginations that sets a template in there for what, what is possible, what, what life can be like? And how many acts of beauty and how many acts of love from God have we taken into our imaginations? It's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort for us to get the comfort of God, the love of God, the true experience of God. And it starts with what we decide to focus on, what we decide to pay attention to. In your imagination, how do you see God? If you had to imagine God, what would be, how would you how would you describe God? What picture comes to mind? Because in our minds, we think in pictures. Our imagination works in pictures, not in concepts. What is it that you see? What is it that comes to mind for you? Both of them had hardness of heart, what God calls hardness of heart. Their hearts were hardened. And we think, oh, they weren't hardened. Adam did not despise God. No, he did not despise God. But hardness of heart occurs when your priorities shift a bit. All you have to do is pay a little more attention to something here than to God and to his word and to the things that he wants and your heart will begin to harden. Something beautiful happens then. It says, verse 21, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. First of all, something had to die to provide those skins. But there's something also very, very tender and sensitive here. When you make clothing for someone, do you see God as a tailor? Or he just took some old bloody skins and threw them on these sinners? No, he was a tailor, just like Jesus was a carpenter and he, he, he built beautiful things. God was a tailor. He was fashioning this. You know, when you clothe someone, you have to touch them. My wife has knitted 
sweaters for me and she constantly puts them on, looks at the shoulders. It's with love that she does that and it's with love that the Lord God clothed his son and his daughter. He still has that tenderness and he still has that tenderness for you. Adam became a victim. What is a victim? A victim is someone who says, because of the injustice done to me, I'm now justified in my attitude. And I want us to take these last minutes. We looked at ourselves from Eve's angle, and now I want to look at ourselves from Adam's angle. Has someone betrayed you? Has someone sold you out? tried to bring you down, and it succeeded, and you are angry about it. All God says is, I get it, I understand, but just own it. Just take responsibility. Just clean your side of the street. It's going to go so much better for you. Just use that sin in your life to have compassion for others that fall. Can you forgive Yes, we can understand, we can empathize with Adam, but we can also use this to say, what does God really want? Humility. We can unwind the tape. Yes, I did it. You can always repent. You can always come clean. Whether they repented or not, he clothed them. He acted with such love and such affection for them. And he so wanted a relationship with them. He had to send them out of the garden because there was a tree of life. And if they ate from that tree, they would have been in this angry, fallen state eternally. He did them a huge favor. It was a huge act of mercy. He said, your lifetime is going to limit what sin can do. God hasn't changed. Mercy, love, clothing, touches. But what's, what does he want? He wants us to be humble. He wants us to repent. He wants us to come to him. Let's take the last few minutes and talk among ourselves. Is there anything that we need to come clean about? Is there anything that we've been acting as a victim Someone's betrayed us and we have never been able to forgive them. And maybe there's power today realizing what God has done for you that you could do that.